Hello and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. You can subscribe to Flight Deck wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining. And well, it took only two weeks and we have our first quarterback crisis. Zach Wilson threw four picks on Sunday and now he's going to find out what it's like to be put into a glass slide under a high-powered microscope for a few days. Welcome to New York, kid. We'll dissect Wilson's horrific performance in a moment, but first I want to mention that our guest this week is former Jets defensive lineman Leger Doosable, a bright young TV analyst. I think you're really going to like Leger's insights. It will discuss Wilson, of course, and also Robert Sala. I don't know if many people know this, but Leger actually played for Sala in Sala's first year as the San Francisco defensive coordinator. So looking forward to that. For now, let's drill down on Sunday's 25-6 loss to the Patriots, their 11th straight loss to New England. Wilson experienced a rite of passage that all Jet quarterbacks go through. They all have a stinker like this, some of them more than others. Darnold, Sanchez, Fitzpatrick, even going way back to Joe Namath. It's like one big fraternity. You you can't be a Jet quarterback unless you have one of these burn-the-tape kind of games. For Wilson, he's one of only three rookies in the last 40 years to throw four interceptions in his first 10 attempts of the game. The others are Kyle Orton and Nathan Peterman. You never want to be in the same sentence as Peterman. But let's be honest. Wilson pulled a Peterman. One other little factoid that we dug up. In the last 20 years, there have been only four top five quarterbacks as rookies who threw zero touchdowns and four interceptions in a game. Alex Smith, Mark Sanchez, Sam Darnold, and Zach Wilson. The last three are Jet quarterbacks. It was rough. It is rough. Let's just dissect these really quickly. I've watched the tape, talked to some people who know about quarterbacking. Let's just go through these four interceptions real quick. The first one, there was nothing tricky about it. Bill Belichick did not trick Wilson into throwing this pick. I think that angle sometimes gets overplayed. This was just man-one defense. It was a single high safety with man underneath, and he threw over the middle to Corey Davis. The throw was a split second late. Jackson did a really good job of jumping the route, and it was picked after basically a tip drill. Uh, So Jackson makes the pick. Second one, uh, this was a staple play in in a West Coast offense. You're going to see this play a lot this year. Play action left, bootleg right. You had Elijah Moore coming out of jet motion to the right. Davis was open on the right sideline. The throw was high. He could have caught it. Yes, he said after the game he should have caught it. If the throw is in his chest, he probably does, but it's high. It goes off his fingertips and it's picked off. Wilson did have Elijah Moore open underneath. It was a first and 10 play. Probably should have played it safe there. This was against zone coverage, by the way. Third one, again, man one coverage. This was the uh, throw to his right. It was a third and four play. He was on the 28-yard line. He was in field goal range, and you have to know the game situation there. He threw a pass to Moore. There wasn't enough zip on it. It was an out route. He kind of left, put too much air under it, and it's picked off 
again by Jackson. I, I'd say that's a bad throw right there. He should have zipped that one. The fourth one, basically a cover two defense. Nothing disguised about it, just a cover two. He throws deep down the left sideline to Moore. I think there was a miscommunication on the play. I think he expected Moore to keep going deep. Moore broke off his route, and it looked like he just threw it right to Devin McCourty. Obviously, he didn't do that. And uh, so there was a miscommunication that factored into that play. So that's four interceptions right there. And look, not good. I, I think Wilson tried to play hero ball. Sala said after the game that, yeah, he's an electric player, but you sometimes it's better to be boring. Basically, be Mac Jones. Look what Mac Jones did yesterday. Nothing spectacular. He just dinked and dunked, managed the game, let his players make plays. He just attacked the Jets, you know, basically soft zone defense and moved up and down the field. His numbers weren't great, but he was a winning quarterback. Zach Wilson averaged nine yards, nine air yards per attempt. Mac Jones averaged only four air yards per attempt, but he's the winning quarterback. You know, Wilson, I think, my opinion, you know, he came on the field to that huge ovation. He was really fired up. I think he's an emotional player. I think he got caught up in the moment. He was remembering last week's game where he got off to a bad start. So I think he was pressing, trying to force the issue early on, wanted to give the crowd something special, and he did not. The first two throws were interceptions. He becomes the first Jet player in 40 years to throw a pick on his first two pass attempts. Look. He's got arm talent, but arm talent means nothing if you don't know how to use it. Now, the key is going to be, how does he rebound? They go on the road to play Denver this week, a very good defensive team. I always think back to what Bill Parcells always used to say, when a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, has a game like that, what you want to see from him is how he reacts when he gets in the huddle in practice on Wednesday and has to look the guys in the eye and move on like nothing happened. That's really when you find out about what a guy's made of. And we're going to find out a lot about Zach Wilson this week. Now, there are some Zach defenders out there that will blame the coaches, coaches, you know, play calling, put him in better situations. I don't want to go there yet. I think it's too early for that. This is just a guy having a bad day. <clears throat> Although I will say one thing about Mike LaFleur. I think he's been too predictable in the first quarter. On first and 10 plays in the first quarter over the last two games, eight runs and only one pass. I think you need to be more balanced on first down. That's your opportunity to put the defense on its heels because in theory, there's a 50% chance you're going to run, 50% pass, you're going to pass. So... They've been very predictable on first down. I'd like to see a little more creativity on first down, but this really just comes down to a guy having a horrific day. That's the reason why they lost. You know there are going to be days like this. You knew it. He's a rookie quarterback. His clunker came early. I've got news for you. I got news for you. There's going to be more days like this. Isn't rebuilding fun? like to welcome our guest. He played nine years in the NFL, defensive lineman, played with the Jets from 2013 to 15 under Rex Ryan and Todd Bowles. And now he's an up-and-coming football analyst. He works for SNY. And of course, he does college football games. 
for ESPN. He's Leger Doosable. Leger, thank you so much for taking the time. Of course, of course, Rich. It was actually 10 years. <laughs> oh, 10. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange you. Thank you for the correction. And actually that, that kind of leads into my first question. Uh, one of those years in, in 2017 was with the 49ers mm-hmm. under Kyle Shanahan and their defensive coordinator was some guy named Robert Sala. <laughs> so what were you, what were your impressions then, uh, uh, you know, working under Robert Sala? Yeah, so this was the first year he was a defensive coordinator. And the thing about Robert Sala is each day he's going to bring energy, right? He's going to bring that juice to the film room, to the field, and, and play his feet off of that. And I'll tell you a quick story that I've, I've told many of people. We, you know, we started that year off 0-9, but he never wavered in his energy and his preparation. And to still to this day, the only coach that I know, and everybody's seen the workouts that he he does at the stadium, running the stadium but before the game. but he would he would wear cleats out to practice, uh, Rich, just because he would make he was running down the field faster than players were <laughs> during wow. practice. So that's you know the energy he brings and it's infectious. So the guy that you see on camera is is the guy who he is. You know that's the guy he's been. The guy that's going to bring energy. The, the guy that's going to have his players well prepared and players just love playing for him. Yeah. Did he have the all gas no break mentality then? Like yeah. So he, that, that was his mantra. That? that was his mantra back then too, and, and it was plastered all over the facility especially in the defensive meeting rooms, all gas, no breaks. It's been this guy's mantra. And that's, that just epitomizes who he is and his characteristics. And like I said, he's just a guy that brings a lot of energy, man. And he puts a lot of heart and soul into this game. And you can tell that he really loves it. I know it's only his first year as a defensive coordinator. So I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but did you see a potential head coach at that time? Yeah. Just, just the way that men respond to him, I think is the biggest thing, Rich. Like you can kind of tell, Especially me, I was going into year 10. So I had, you know, seen a lot of different coaches, a lot of different head coaches. And you could tell when a guy has got it. And the thing was, even though it was his first year, I, I saw the way that he prepared. I saw the way that players responded to him. And I saw the way that in adversity, he never faltered. And I think that's the biggest thing to me, Rich. Like when you're going through something like that, being 0 and 9, like your true character is tested. And you can kind of tell, like, if this guy's going to be legit or not, like what you do when you go through adversity usually shows who you truly are. And, and like I said, he never faltered at one time every day came in there with the same energy. You know, you played for uh, an interesting mix of coaches. As I mentioned, you played for Rex Ryan, you played for Todd Bowles, two defensive uh, coaches like, like Sala. If you could, what are some of the similarities and differences between those three coaches? Okay. Rex and Sala both have, a lot of energy. They're both player coaches. Guys really love to play for them. All three of them are defensive, you know, type coach, quote unquote. Um, Todd Bowles, when it comes to the X's and O's, is a genius. Um, the thing is, with his system, I want to say it's feast or famine, but he likes to bring the house. Like Rex brought the house too, but as as far as Bowles, like he really predicates everything on, on bringing a house and getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands right away. And in his system, you got to have lockdown corners. And, and same thing in Rex, you know, we had Darrell Reeves, we had Cromartie for a while, but I think system wise, they were a little bit different. Uh, Bowles is three, four, but he can, he switched it up to four, three hybrid a little bit more than, than, than Rex did. Rex was mainly a three, four guy with two outside linebackers and three big, defensive lineman up front. Uh, and, and then uh, with 
with Salah, you're going to get the four, three cover three defense, right? Like he doesn't base his defense off band coverage. Like Rex and Bowles are more similar in their systems and the way they think. But Salah is really predicating everything off the defensive line. Like the defensive line, you have to be dudes up front. And you also had to be dudes up front. If you look at what Tampa Bay has right now with Bowles there. And then also when I was here with Rex, our defensive line was really good as well, too. But those guys were going to blitz the house and, 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 you know, the corners had to man up. But in this system with with um, Robert Sala, for, for the most part in San Francisco was mainly covered three. They're playing a lot more man than I anticipated them doing this year with, with Coach Albright calling the plays. And these young guys have actually showed up really well, but it's still predicated off the defensive line being really strong and being able to take over games. Okay, so I got to ask you. So you're playing for the championship. You you can pick one of those coaches. Which coach do you want to take you into a championship game? Ooh, damn, Rich, you put me on a spot like that, huh? Yeah, that's we got to do that here. So uh, I, you're I would, be, yeah, yeah, I'm in the yeah, I would say I would say Rex just because I was with him lo- the longest, and we have a real tight knit relationship, family almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been just good to see us you know, take it to the next level and be able to, to make a playoff run, which I wasn't able to do with him. So I would have to say Rex, mainly because I was with him the longest. Okay. Okay. Good answer. Um, now, from a defensive player perspective, let's talk about what happened on Sunday with Zach mm-hmm. Wilson, four interceptions. You're looking at it from your side of the ball. Uh, what did you see str- struggle-wise with him? What, what, what were your takeaways from your perspective? To me, watching the film and watching the game live, it was as if Zach Wilson was pressing because he wanted to make sure he started fast. And if you look at what happened last week versus the Panthers, the offense didn't come out particularly well in the first half. They struggled. He didn't start fast. He really didn't get going until midway through the third quarter. So it seems like when I was watching the film and watching the game live, he was pressing too much. Like the interception, not the first one, but the second one on the bootleg to Corey Davis. Ball was a little high, hot, but Corey Davis is a player who even admitted he's like, I, I probably should have caught that pass. But he had an underneath route right there to EJ Moore that would have got, got him six to eight yards, right? Not the sexy throw, Rich, but it keeps you ahead of the sticks. And then it wasn't, to me, like people are, are bringing up the Bill Belichick thing and his history of rookie quarterbacks, but there was nothing exotic out there on Sunday as far as when, when Zach Wilson threw interceptions. Like he was just pressing. And, and I think Coach Sala said it perfectly. Sometimes it's okay to play ugly football. You got to take the check downs. And I know he was saying in his press conference, well, you know, where they're in man coverage, you know, the check downs in there, but most of those interceptions weren't in man coverage. They were in zone coverage and he was just pressing. And, and when you're a young quarterback and you throw one pick and you throw two pick picks, your confidence can shape whether you want to admit it or not. And I think he was just pressing, like, I have to go make a play, but you're the young guy. You have veterans on your team. You have a, a Corey Davis, you have, a veteran offensive line besides Vera Tucker out there. Lean on the run game. The run game was 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 really well yesterday. I mean, I think all three running backs averaged over four yards a carry. And in the bootlegs, when he was trying to throw it down the field, there were guys that was wide open. Even, even the bootleg that he completed to Ryan Griffin, right? He evades the first defender. If he just hits Ryan Griffin in stride, that's an eight, nine-yard game. But he waited until Ryan Griffin had no more space left on the sideline and threw it to him and they ended up, you know, like a four or five-yard game. Like Little plays like that just keep you ahead of the stick. Knowing when to get rid of the ball, be decisive and get it out of your hands. And to me, it just seemed like he processed the game slow yesterday. 
Yeah, even the long pass to, that he completed to Elijah Moore, uh, yeah. that should have gone for a touchdown. You know, he threw to, threw yeah. to the outside shoulder. He threw there. to the outside, and if he throws that up the field, that's six. And even the Jeff Smith uh, completion on fourth down, like, he was open for a while, and, and, and Zach just read it late. And it was a hell of a throw, right? He, he was able to, you know, tightrope it and get it in there. But that ball should have came out a lot earlier. Yeah. Now, if you're a defensive player and you're playing a quarterback who's a rookie and he throws a pick on his first two passes, do you, you start smelling blood on the defensive line? What's going through your mind when you're facing a guy who's going through that kind of funk? Oh, yeah, you, you definitely start smelling blood because you are you as a player, you know, just to put it in perspective, say I have two offside penalties back to back. Like that messes up your psyche, whether you want to admit it or not. Now you have to shake that off and that's adversity and you have to continue to play. But you know that it's in the back of your head. Like my next throw could be a pick or if I jump off sides one more time, I might not play again. So you second guess yourself for a while, but this game is based on pressure, Rich. Like you can't play in this game if you can't play against the pressure. And that's not just at the quarterback position. That's any position, literally. So as a defender, when a guy throws two picks, yeah, you, you go smell you smell blood, especially if you're able to cash in. Now, the good thing is the Jets defense was able to stand up strong, so the game was still in balance throughout the first three quarters. So it wasn't like you know, New England had a, a huge lead where they could just tee off and pass rush because the game was still in balance. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all that. I thought the defense actually played okay considering they were on short fields for much of the day. They played um, really well. I mean, yeah. like how many sudden changes were there? Like you can only ask the defense to, to go out there. And, and it's your job as a defender to go out there. And we have all saying, you know, protect every inch of blade of grass. But, you know, when you're on defense and you're going out there, you're playing hard and JFM is getting sacks and you're stopping the run game and you're, and you're getting Mac Jones in third and long, which when he was in third and long, you saw how uncomfortable he was. He's not a guy that can live on second and 10 and third and 10. He wants to live in third and four. And that's when he has a higher percentage of completing passes when he's in third and four. But the defense did a good job and forced him in a lot of third and tens. I think the number that really stood out to me yesterday, Rich, even though the offense struggled, and not particularly the offense, at the quarterback position struggled, the Jets still outperformed New England on third down efficiency, which is crazy to me to think. Because if you look at the score, it wasn't indicative of that. Right. The Jets had a higher percentage of completing on third down than the Patriots. So that showed how well the defense was playing yesterday. Yeah, it's crazy because if, if Zach only threw two interceptions, it, it would probably have been a very competitive game. Right. To oh, the end. 100 percent. It probably would. It probably would have been a one score game or 10 points at most. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, speaking as a like a veteran defensive player, when a when your quarterback and he's a rookie has a game like that. Yeah. Are you how closely are you watching to how he handles himself in the media and what he says in the press conference? I'm sure you watched his press conference at, you know, you were yeah. at SN, doing your job for SNY. You know, how do you think he handled himself? Yeah. So that's the thing. When, when you're a veteran guy, it's your job to, to kind of put your arm around that guy. Right. When he's a young guy. But you also want to see how he responds. Right. That's part of part of the pressure and adversity in the NFL. The one thing and I said this on SNY. Um, he kept saying, we, we have to do this. We have to do that. I would have liked as a veteran guy for him to, to take taking some personal accountability. Like I can't do this. I can't. And, and I later into this. I said this story. I, re, I don't know if you remember in 2013, we go to Buffalo and this, we go punt safe and the snapper actually moves and I jump off sides and then Buffalo goes down and scores on that drive. Well, I took personal accountability that now 
we turned it in the next day and it should have been offsides on Buffalo. But it, when it happened, I was like, I have to be better. I, I can't do that in that situation. You know, I have to know that they're going to try to ju- draw me offside and I can't do that. So I would have liked to hit for him to say, you know, I have to take some kind of some of those throws I cannot make. I got to be able to, you know, check it down. Um, but, you know, he's a young kid. He'll learn. Uh, and in this New York media, you know, it's going to be a rough week for him this week. Yeah, he's probably going to be plastered all over the New York Post. Um, talk radio is going to be after him. So this is where you see. And, and this was was, you know, a lot of people's issues with him coming to New York. Like he's went to BYU, smaller market. Will he be able to handle some if something like this happens in the game? Will he be able to handle that week and be able to bounce back? So we'll get to see that. I think this kid has a lot of good fortitude. If you saw what happened to him in that first week versus the Panthers, I literally got beat up, beat down, arm slid, was ripped up. And he came back and made some big time throws. And that Carolina loss actually doesn't look that bad now. We saw what they did to New Orleans yesterday. So um, I think this kid has the fortitude. The thing is, when you have a big arm and everybody's talking about it, you want to make the splashy plays and, he just has to learn. Like you have to. Sometimes you just got to play ugly football and stay ahead of the sticks. Lean on that defense. You're a young guy. You don't. I think that's the thing that Joe D and, and Robert Stoller really preached when they drafted him. Like this team is going to lift you up, not the other way around. So he has to realize you don't have to be the Messiah right now. Like your defense is playing really well. Lean on them. Your offensive line actually jailed yesterday. They ran the ball effectively. Lean on them. You know, and even the protection. Like. That's, those sacks were skewered at the end. Like, some of those sacks, like, he held on to the ball too like, yeah. at the end of the game. Like, but I felt like the offensive line really played well yesterday. So, like, just lean on your teammates. Lean on the veterans on the team. You don't have to be – you don't have to be the god right now. <laughs> yeah, like Salah said after the game, you know, it's okay to be boring, you know. And basically, yeah. Mac Jones did, was that guy yesterday. Mac Jones was, was the boring guy. You know, he just hit the checkdowns. And didn't do anything spectacular, but he just managed the game. And I I think probably the Jets want Zach to take the same approach. You know, just just to put this into perspective, right? Matt Jones was efficient. But Zach Wilson, even throwing four picks, still threw for more yards than him. Just put that into perspective. Like, he still threw for more yards than him. But the Patriots won because Matt Jones was efficient with the ball. Yes, he didn't have to throw the the ball down the field. And that's not the New England game anyway. They only have one receiver that could maybe – you know, get behind the defense. That's Aguilar. The rest of their receivers are more possession guys. You know, Kendrick Bourne and, and Myers are more possession guys. And then they have the two tight ends. But, like, he threw the screen to James White. He gave, he get, got James White the ball on third down. Like, that's the thing. You have him in third and four and five, that's where he lives. And he's going to be efficient with the ball. He's going to get the ball out of his hands. He knows where to go with the football. And if it's third and long, he doesn't mind taking the sack. He's not going to throw it up there you know, for an interception. And, and we saw that yesterday. You know, you make a great point, Leger. You know, I was rereading his press conference transcript from Sunday. You know, he, he kept on saying, we have to execute better. Although in fairness, he did say in the beginning, he goes, this is on my shoulders. I have to be better. But, you know, uh, it's an interesting observation on your part. Kept on saying, we have to execute better when it was clear mm-hmm. that it really wasn't a we situation. It was just like a, a him situation. So, uh, but yet the players seem supportive after the game. Sheldon Rankins was was very supportive, and they understand that he's going to go through some growing pains. I, I just thought that was an interesting observation. Do you, you see, you think veteran players are, are checking, you know, just to see, you know, how the how the kid responds under under that kind of pressure. Yeah, they're going to see how he responds, but it's it's your job as a veteran to lift that kid up too. Right? We all we've all been there. We've had 
And that's such a good game. And, and if your team is about anything, you have a, a veteran presence to, to be able to tell you, like, that's one game. You can't let it affect you for the rest of the season. Literally, it's only week two, Rich. You know what? There's still, what, 15 more games to go? Yeah. So it's going to be a long season if you let one performance affect you for the rest of the year. So this is where those veterans come in. Like, Corey Davis has to be a guy that can, you know, take the young quarterback under his wing. He's like, you know what? We got you. Um, don't worry about it. We're on to the next week. Uh, that game's in the past. Let's get ready for Denver because it's not going to get any easier. This defense we're seeing this week is probably ain't a problem. They're better than the New England yeah. Patriot defense. When you talk about the front four getting after the quarterback and then that's secondary pro bowl is all around it. And then the young kid, Patrick Sertain, another pick yesterday. So we have no time to feel sorry for ourselves. Let's just go and pick it up and, and if there's one stadium that he could air it out in, it's going to be in the mile high <laughs> because the air is so thin. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point. I mean, and they also have a pretty good pass rusher there, some guy named Von Miller who's who's pretty good. And and Bradley Chubb, too. And Chubb, and, you know, the, the safety is is great. And Justin Simmons. And uh, Sertan Ray looks like. Jackson's good. Sertan's good. Like they, and then, don't forget, they, they added, you know, Fuller to that secondary, too. So Yeah. So if you're the Jet coaching staff and you're going into Denver, and you know you got this quarterback whose confidence might be a little bit shaken. So how do you how do you get him back? Like how do you get him back on track? You make the game easy for him, and by running the football, and that's something that Mike Lafleur and his offensive line did really well. Stay ahead of the chains, and, I, and I've been saying this: like you can't have Zach Wilson live in second and ten and third and ten, right? He needs to be in second and five, second and six at the worst, and then third down he needs to be in third and five and under. That way. He doesn't have to hold the ball. He can get rid of the ball quick. And then the thing that, that we saw so much in the preseason, right, was that jet sweep by the receiver and just buying the eyes of the defense. Well, we haven't ran one yet, and we've had the fake motion like three or four times. So when will Mike LaFleur pull that out? I, I feel like yesterday would have been the perfect day to give EJ Moore a few of those jet sweeps just to keep the defense honest. And, and you can still run your split zone off of that. We saw one time they ran the split zone. With an RPO uh, action, they threw a, a quick screen to, to Braxton Berrios. Doing some of those things, being able to get the ball out of your quarterback's hands quick and early, especially in the beginning of the game, get him comfortable, get him confident, and throwing the ball again. Because, you know, when you throw four picks, you want to be able to, to get the ball out of your hand, not think so much, get some easy completions. That's going to build your confidence up, especially going against that secondary. And before I let you go, I got to ask you, one question about Denzel Mims. It, it's a hostile issue <laughs> among Jet fans. I, I, you know, he's a second round pick. He's a talented young man. We saw it yeah. last year. You know, maybe he's not the most polished route runner at this stage of his career. I just think he's got so much talent that you'd want to incorporate him. What's your stance on the mid situation? Yeah, so I've been asked about this many a times, and I, we discussed it yesterday on the post game. I, I don't get it. Right? This guy's 6'2", 215, running a 4'3". And so Robert Sala says that, you know, he has to learn every position if he's not the top, you know, two or three receiver. And then he's, he said that he's got to outperform, I think it was Jeff Smith and Keelan Cole. But the thing is, Keelan Cole didn't even really take any offensive snaps yesterday. And Jeff Smith had the one catch at the end of the game. So you're telling me that Denzel Mims and also – EJ Moore was a beast in the slot. Like, why haven't they played him in the slot? And then you put Mims on the outside with Corey Davis. Like, that's the things I don't get. And I liken it to a story in 2017, we had Marquise Goodwin, who was a very fast receiver. Not the same build as Mims, but as far as skill set, not the best polished route runner, but literally defenses were scared of him because they knew what he could do stretching the field. 
So you're telling me having a guy like that on the field to stretch the field where you have to keep a safety back won't help your young quarterback just the threat of that. You know what that also helps, Rich? The run game, right? Because you have to keep a safety back because you have to respect. So it's different between him and Marquise because Marquise was a shorter guy, but fast. But with Mims, you can throw it up and potentially get a 50-50 jump ball with him because of how big he is and his athletic ability. So, yeah, I know in the system you want accurate and, and polished route runners, but I was in the system with Marquise Gilbert, and he was a productive receiver. He almost had 1,000 yards on that, that year. We went 0-9 to start the season, and we ended up winning six out of the last seven. So for you to say you can't use a guy like that, to me, is hogwash. Like, Marquise Goodwin almost had 1,000 yards that year and got paid because, of, again, by San Francisco. <laughs> I remember when Goodwin blew past Darryl, uh, Darrell Revis when he was playing for Buffalo, you know. And, you, don't, you, know. you don't think that scares even one of the top corners, in the league, a guy that's running like that off the ball? Like that that puts fear in the secondary when a guy can run like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also have a quarterback with the arm to throw it to him. Yeah, it's it's just weird, that situ- situation. Because I do think Moore is better in the slot. You know, Barrios has been fairly productive in the slot. And they still sure. got Crowder coming back, you know. so And, and that's, that's another thing, right? He like he was trending to play this week. Now, if he really seriously had the groin injury, yeah, you don't risk it. It's only week two. But it's for all intents and purposes, it seemed like he was coming back. So that's that's another guy in the slot, right? That your young rookie quarterback he's a veteran guy that's one of the best slots in all of, of the NFL. To me, he's been very productive in the slot the last few years. Um, hopefully he plays this week. Um, but yeah, I don't it's, I, don't, I don't know. It's a head scratcher, Rich. <laughs> yeah, a couple of head scratchers in that position for sure. Um, but, uh, well, Leger, thank you so much. You know, for fans out there, you want to catch Leger on SNY. He does a great job with the gang, you know, uh, pre and post game. He does an outstanding job. And, of course, doing college football for ESPN. Um, he is uh, on the, as they say, he's on the ascent in this broadcasting business. Did you always want to get into this when you were playing football? Is, was this your post-career ambition? Yeah, so this is what I went to school for. And I don't know if you remember, when I was playing with the Jets, I would always go on Jets game plan. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, this is something I've, I've, you know, it's been a grind, Rich, just like in the NFL. It was a grind for me coming in as an undrafted guy playing 10 years. So this is something I've worked on and tried to perfect throughout the years and just being blessed to be able to get all these opportunities right now. Uh, well, it's awesome. We'll keep it up. And thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really appreciate it, Lejay. Of course, no problem. Wow, you guys are fired up. I could just tell by the tenor of the Twitter questions, and I do appreciate all the questions. Thanks for sending them in. And uh, Jet fans are fired up, and you know what? You have a right to be fired up. Home opener, 70,000 people. You're playing your arch enemy. You got a new quarterback, a shiny new toy, and you got some optimism for the season with a new coaching staff, staff and your team goes out. And can't even score a touchdown. So you have a right to be upset and you have questions and I'm going to get to as many as I can right now. We're going to start it off with at the Nolan Rich. Do you think the Jets should trade Jamison Crowder to not only get a piece back, but also open up a spot for Denzel Mims? I've said it. I don't know where I said it or I wrote it. I think the Jets will trade Jamison Crowder by midseason. You could already see the handwriting on the wall. I think they're happy with Braxton Berrios in the slot. And if they can get something back for Crowder, who's a free agent after the season, I say you do it. Uh, look, the Jets are going to be out of contention by then. So you might as well try to get a future asset 
As for the, I don't think it'll open a spot for Mims because they play different positions, but I'm going to tackle the Mims issue. So many of you guys asked about him, so I'll do it in one lump sum here. Of course, you know he was a healthy scratch. This was not a surprise. I told you this last week. I wrote it in my Sunday notes column that he probably wasn't going to dress. Still, when the re- when it happens, it's a little jarring in terms of the reality. Um, I don't see a way for him on the field. Robert Sala said special teams factored into the decision. I don't see that because Jeff Smith and Keelan Cole only one played only played one snap apiece in special teams on Sunday. I think the coaching staff just doesn't think Denzel Mims is any good. Uh, there's a lot of lip service about how good he doesn't practice and he's getting better and he's almost there. And yet they leave a player with obvious talent on the bench. I don't know if he's in the doghouse. He's obviously not one of their favorites. And I think it's an issue. Uh, I don't really buy their explanations, but clearly they don't think he's good enough to play because if they did, he'd be playing. One, someone once told me once that coaches are very selfish. They play the guys that help them the most to win. They don't think Mims is one of those guys. I don't agree with it. It's probably going to be an issue for a long time coming. I, I was told he had some first, re, first team reps in practice last week. I was even told that Zach Wilson wanted to work with him a little bit to do some extra throwing. All that for not, he does not play. At Boy Green 25, how surprised are you by the level of play of the cornerbacks? And yes, Boy Green, I, I am a little surprised. Uh, they're such young players, such inexperienced group, and they have played well. Other than the long pass to Robbie Anderson in week one, which I think was more on the safeties and also the defensive call than any cornerback, I think they've done a good job. Now, the caveat here is they've only faced Sam Darnold and Mac Jones. They have not faced a big-time quarterback. So uh, let's reserve judgment uh, when they start facing those quarterbacks. Next one from at TJ underscore Conway. Do you think it's a good use of time for a reporter to ask a trolling question about seeing ghosts to a rookie quarterback? That, of course, happened after the game Sunday. Ben Volan, an outstanding NFL columnist for the Boston Globe, asked that question of Zach Wilson. Of course, a reference to the Darnold ghost game. Was it trolling? Look, I mean, I think everything's fair game when you have a performance like that. So maybe it was a little bit of a trolling, but uh, it's not our job to worry about the person's feelings who is being asked the question. That's not our job. At Brian Schwamber 2, does the media take any ownership in pushing the bogus narrative that Sam Darnold couldn't play here and needed a change of scenery? Brian, if you read or heard me at all during the spring, you know that I was in favor of keeping Darnold and trading down from number two. I cited on multiple occasions. Uh, I will stay with that. Sam obviously is playing well in Carolina. You would expect him to be ahead of Zach Wilson at this point. After all, he's in his fourth year. He's got a better team around him. So I'm not saying this issue is a win for the Panthers and a loss for the Jets. But, uh, you know, that was my narrative. I I thought they should have kept Arnold. Anyway, at Mark Eisenberg, I watched the Patriots game on TV and couldn't tell if any of the receivers were getting separation on their routes. If not, did the uh, did that contribute to Zach Wilson's performance? Well, I, on their interceptions, 
Corey Davis was open on the second interception. The other interceptions, the guys really weren't open. But, uh, you know, this is that's an interesting point because this was a man coverage defense. They saw a lot of man coverage. There should have been opportunities to get open. There's ways to get guys open against man defenses. The Jets should have schemed more bunch formations. You can run pick routes. Can't say pick, it's illegal. Rub routes, as they like to say. Ways to get guys open. Would have liked to have seen more of that in this game. There's always ways to scheme guys open. And next from at Brian Mode 224. When do we start watching the Spencer Rattler tape? Not yet, man. Look, it's only two games. He had a really bad game. He's not going anywhere. He's going to get at least three years, just like Sam Darnold did. That's the, you know, unless you're Josh Rosen, and, and this is not a Josh Rosen situation, you're going to get three years. Don't watch any Spencer Rattler tape, unless, of course, you happen to be an Oklahoma fan, then go right ahead. And our last question is a really good question from at Dan Schnock. He goes, I know it's only been one off season and two games, but what do you see as the biggest differences between this rebuilding effort and the others that have come and gone? Again, really, really good question. I think the difference, the main difference is this regime, this rebuilding effort has an extreme commitment to youth. You see it at quarterback, you see it at linebacker, and you see it at cornerback. They're not half-assing it. When Mike McCagnan did this uh, rebuilding in 2017, he was half-assing it. He called it a quote-unquote competitive rebuild, which just sounded like some corporate mumbo-jumbo. He said he wanted to go young, but then he went out and signed veteran guys like Tremaine Johnson and then later Le'Veon Bell. And so it wasn't an extreme commitment to the rebuild. I think these guys are committed. They also have four years left in their contract, Sala and Douglas. So they have the luxury of time. They're not going anywhere, no matter what happens this season. They're in it for the long haul. I think the interesting test will be if the Jets have a really bad season this year and they have a lot of cap room in the offseason, which they will, you know, do they stay committed to that plan of rebuilding through the draft? Or does Douglas get a little itchy, uh, itchy checkbook finger and start writing some big checks for free agency, you know, does he go crazy or does he stay with his plan? That'll be a real test in the offseason. Okay, enough picking on Zach Wilson. Let's look ahead to this week's game. The Jets go to Denver to play the 2-0 Broncos. And every time they go to Denver, it's like a house of horrors for the Jets. 2017. They lay an egg, and then Josh McCown breaks his hand in that game. And, of course, 2011, the Tebow game, you know, primetime game. It was so bad that Rex Ryan ended up in an ER after the game because he was, you know, wasn't feeling well. They had to take him to the hospital. But uh, for me, every time I go to Denver, I think about the game, the what-if game, the what-could-have-been game, the 1998 AFC Championship. I was there at the old Mile High Stadium. The Jets take a 10-0 lead on a Curtis Martin touchdown with 12 minutes left in the third quarter. And I turned to my colleague at the New York Daily News, Gary Myers, and I said, Gary, I don't believe it. The Jets are going to the Super Bowl. So blame me. I jinxed it. The Broncos scored 23 unanswered points, and the Jets lose a heartbreaker. 
I've talked many times with Bill Parcells over the years. He has mentioned, as well as other players have mentioned, that that was the most crushing loss of their careers. And for Parcells, that's saying something. I mean, he lost a Super Bowl when he was the Patriots coach. Never forget after that game, I went up to Parcells. He was dressing in the coach's locker room. We had had a couple of disagreements uh, that year over some things. So I went up to him, you know, extended a hand, thanked him for a good season, uh, wished him well. And he was he was almost morose after that game. He was as as white as a ghost. He was just really shell-shocked by how that game turned so quickly. And I'll never forget, I walked outside the locker room by the team bus, hoping to get some color, maybe pick up a player or two for an interview. And I just saw, I looked into the team bus and I saw Parcell sitting alone on the team bus. He had the stat sheet in his hands that he was looking it over. And it was almost like he was trying to make sense of what happened or what didn't happen. It was such a crushing loss. I honestly thought the Jets were going that year, and I think they would have won the Super Bowl. They would have beaten Atlanta. And that's just a really bad memory. I'm sorry to bring that back, but that's what I think of when I go to Denver. And, you know, this time, of course, dramatically different circumstances. Denver 2-0. and They beat two winless teams, the Giants and the Jaguars. But they do have some impressive qualities. This is going to be a tough challenge for, for Zach Wilson. You know, Denver, Vic Sanfangio is an outstanding defensive coach. I He runs sophisticated pass coverages. I've actually talked to scouts who have a hard time figuring out what the coverage is, even when they're watching it on tape. So can imagine when it's happening in real time on the field. It's tough for quarterbacks, especially rookie quarterbacks. Uh, they're a man. They're, they're kind of a 50-50 man zone team. They don't bring a lot of pressure. In fact, they're among the bottom in the league in terms of blitzing. So Zach Wilson probably won't see a lot of pressure, but why pressure when you have guys like Von Miller, arguably the best pass rusher of this generation, and Bradley Chubb, if he's healthy? Two tremendous challenges for the Jets' tackles. Offensively, Teddy Bridgewater, old Teddy, who had a cup of coffee with the Jets a few summers ago. He's off to an outstanding start. He's got a 77% completion rate, four touchdowns, no interception. He's pretty much playing flawless football, and it doesn't blow you away because much like Zach, uh, Mac Jones last week, it's a lot of dink and dunk. But you know what? When you face a zone team like the Jets and you're patient, dink and dunk works. So I think this is going to be a problem matchup for the Jets. I'd be surprised if they win this game. I'm going to predict it. Denver 31, Jets 14. The Jets would come home 0-3. Tough start. But this is a tough matchup on the road, especially with a young quarterback coming off such a confidence-jarring game. So I'm favoring Denver here. That's the end of this week's show. I want to thank Leger Doosable for stopping by and as our guest. Thanks to producer Jeff Scopin, as always. And we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck. <laughs>